Yeah, 10,000 men, and when he beat him up, the Enterprise, uh, then he beat him down again, and when you're up, you're up, and when you're down, you're down, and when you're only halfway up, you're nowhere to be found. Okay, thank you very much. That sounds like a great opening to me right there. Fantastic. And welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 166. My goodness, the numbers are getting big. Uh, my name is Mike Anello, and I will be one of the hosts for today's episode. Joining me, we're going old school. It's, first of all, Ryan Price. How are you, Ryan? Excellent to be here. It's been, like, way too long. And how about this? Also joining us, Andrew Riley. That's two in a row for you, Mr. Riley. I know, it's crazy. And this is the original Drupal Easy Podcast uh, co-hosting group right here. Old school. Old school. We haven't had one of these in, I I don't even know how long. Long, many, many. Some dedicated listener could figure it out. Yes, many moons. So welcome, you guys. Uh, uh, The intro music was... Um, from DrupalCon Los Angeles, I guess that was earlier this year, right? Early in the 25th, May of 2015, do I have that right? I think it was May, or maybe it was June. Sometime in 2015. Um, part of my site, as performed by uh, Ronai uh, Brumet, I believe is her last name. Hopefully I pronounced all that correctly. Our super special guest today also has a DrupalCon connection, only a DrupalCon Barcelona connection, Mike Bell, you were one of the two community keynotes at DrupalCon Barcelona. So welcome, Mike. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. You are uh, based in Manchester in the UK, and you talked about open source. uh, Well, let me, I have that transposed, mental health and open source in Barcelona. And that's what we're going to be talking to you about today. So we are looking forward to that um, for sure. So let's uh, start off real quick and let's find out about you, Mike Bell. What is you? What do you do? Are you? A, um, I believe you are a Drupal developer. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a senior Drupal developer at the moment. Um, and my day job is basically doing cool things with uh, Drupal. Um, so I was part of a team that uh, has just recently launched London.gov.uk. Uh, which is um, a huge site for for the UK, basically. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much my day job. So are you more on the coding side or site building, or you kind of have your your hands in multiple cookie jars? Um, so I'm quite heavily into coding, and I kind of cross over into some sysadmin and DevOps uh, every now and then. So the phrase uh, "you have your hand in a cookie jar" is that a phrase that exists in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So I want to make sure I wasn't speaking some crazy foreign American slang <laughs> with you. <laughs> and how, how long have you been working with Drupal for? Uh, I've been working with Drupal for eight years now. Um, so since long, long Drupal time. 5? Uh, so? Yes, I think Drupal 5 just came out when um, I was starting. Wow, fantastic. And is, is it, are you working 100% with Drupal these days? Uh, yep, yeah, 100% with Drupal, um, and then I tend to play around with some other frameworks in my spare time. All right, fantastic. So let's let's dive right in here. Um, 
you gave a, a really excellent uh, keynote in Barcelona, and you've been blogging about this topic for a while. Um, and it's something that you struggle with, and it's uh, you know, mental health and, and open source. Um, in your blog and on your keynote, you, and in your keynote, you talked about how you suffer from depression, anxiety, and imposter syndrome. So I kind of want to. You've been remarkably open about all this, which is kind of a you know a gift to the community because you've been a catalyst to talk about um, this in our community, which is always very important. Um, but let me also ask you, or let me start off by asking, I should say, you talking about this, was this part of your, I don't want to maybe not use the word healing process, but your, your coping mechanism or your, your path to recovery? Uh, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, from day one, when I, when I realized I had a problem, I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, so I, I, I just used um, social media um, to kind of say help. I, I can't, well, I need help. Uh, and then it was actually the Drupal, quite a few people from the Drupal community that came forward and were basically like, okay, this is what you need to do. Um, so yeah, me being kind of open about this is, is, it's a twofold process for me. It's kind of, it's making sure that other people are, are aware of it. And it's also part of my recovery process. So it's kind of, it forces me to confront how I feel. Uh, and, and certainly with some of the blogging stuff that I've done, um, just to actually sit down and kind of think about what I'm going through and then transpose those thoughts into words has been a massive help for me. So when you first started feeling that there was an issue, did you were you able to label it? Did you know that it was depression or anxiety or something else? Um, I think looking back, I, I think I realized there was something wrong. But um, for me, it was quite – I had quite f uh, bad physical reactions to it. Um, and it kind of all came to a head um, – and just ended up being so nervous and down that I was physically ill. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of, yeah, I think just, it was, it was very sudden and I, I didn't, at the time I didn't really know what it was, but I, but I think I kind of hid the symptoms from myself and just kind of kidded myself that everything was going to be okay. So what, I mean, obviously this wasn't something where you were fine one day and then the next day, wham, there were, there were symptoms that slowly built over up over time. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think, I think I was, I was quite stressed, um, at work, um, and just going through a rough patch personally. Um, and I think they all just compounded. So, so what were some of these, these initial symptoms? Like what, what did you feel or what? You mentioned that you were physically ill, but I'm trying to get at, you know, if someone else is feeling things, but they're not sure what, you know, what is going on, maybe we can tie what you went through um, or, or talk about what you went through and hopefully let other people know that, you know, this might be a warning sign for something. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. I think... Um for me, it was a general down feeling, um, and just not being happy, happy, kind of a general apathy towards everything really. Um, so I, I realized that, um, like I, I wasn't, I wasn't fussed with anything. Everything was like, everything was a bit pointless. Um, and like, there was nothing that would actually, nothing good would come out of any situation. 
Um, and I guess from the anxiety front, I'd, it was like just being generally anxious about situations. So if I ever had a meeting with anybody, just being so worried about going into that um, and being like, oh, this is genuinely quite scary. So did you associate that with something going on um, like from a depression standpoint, or were you trying to figure out like, why am I, why am I afraid of walking into this meeting? Like there's something going on, but I have no idea what. I think that, that kind of realization came as part of my, of, of my recovery at, at the time. I just kind of accepted that was kind of normal. Um, and that was my way of coping with it and sort of hiding any, any of the problems, uh, from myself. But eventually, yeah, that as part of recovering, it was a case of actually identifying that, yes, I have these feelings and, and, and trying to figure out what was causing these feelings. So this is something which I haven't heard you talk about, but it just kind of popped in my head and it, it, it sounds like it probably wasn't the case, but I can imagine that, you know, other people or a, a percentage of the population who would go through something like this would turn towards other methods to kind of hide from the problem, whether it's, it's a substance or just distracting themselves some way. Um, was there a period of time where you were experiencing, experiencing these symptoms and just trying to, to hide them somehow? Um, yeah, I mean, was a long I period. I, I, I'd say I, I had a good few weeks where I just totally shut myself off from everything and didn't want to communicate and, and sort of basically I would leave home, go to work, sit with my headphones in, work, come home, and that was it. I would very like communication was minimal at best. Um mm. and yeah, I just kind of hid myself away. Um I, I think one of the things that I, I've found is that when when you're going through this, you become very very good at hiding it. So while I was going through that, I could still put on this front. So even though I'd retreated within myself, it was kind of like I'm just happy, smiley Mike. When really yeah. I'm not. You said it was only a few weeks where you were, you know, where you were really, you know, not doing well and, and trying to hide it. That seems like. A rather, I don't want to, you know, as you're going through it, obviously not a short period of time, but I can imagine that there were, there'd be other people who would just try to cope and hide it and deaden it for much longer periods of time. Yeah. I mean, it was a couple of weeks of like really intense, but I mean, this, this had been building up for, for six months to a year. Uh, I mean, I don't think, they definitely don't think that these things just kind of like appear from nowhere. And I mean, yeah. uh, once once I kind of got to the point where I I realized that yeah I need to do something about this, um, there was still a, a quite a long time. I mean, I ended up I think I took um, four months off work um, to recover and kind of become what I class as human again. I guess. So, what triggered you actually doing something to fix it? You know, m moving from the I'm hiding from it stage to I need to, you know, actively do something to, to improve the situation. Was there one thing or was it just, you know, two or three weeks of hiding and you you finally just said enough, I have to do something. 
I mean, I mean, again, purely for me, it was literally I, I woke up one morning um, and was so so depressed and anxious about things. I ended up being sick. Um, and then I I phoned work and said I've got cold uh, and then went back to bed and was determined I wouldn't get out of bed ever again. Um, and then oh. it was kind of at that point I realized, wow, if this is if, if there's something wrong and it's making me fit, if it's making me physically sick, then there's I need to do something. And there's definitely a problem. So what was the first step that you took? Um, the first step for me was was actually blogging about it. Um, so I, I posted a kind of a, a call for help and kind of an explanation of what I was going through. Um, and then I, I, I posted that and then within like five or 10 minutes, the flood of messages that I got from people was just totally and utterly, it was overwhelming. And the amount of support that I got from people. And then from there, like people were emailing me and uh, there were, there were a couple of people that were just basically like, here is what you need to do. You you need to go to a doctor straight away and sort of and and see what see what they can do for you. That must have you know felt like an incredible burden starting to lift off your shoulders at that point. Yeah, um, definitely, it definitely was. But I th- one of the weirdest things for me is like it, it became overwhelming to a point where me saying thank you so much and thank you for being supportive just meant nothing. Um, it was kind of I'd said it so much that I was like, "Wow, am I? Is this? Do I do I mean this now? Am I just copying and pasting like the same reply over and over again to people?" Um, yeah, it, it was certainly it was certainly an experience and and it, a positive experience, but at the same time quite draining. And I don't I don't think it's fair to say that your first step would be everybody's first step. I mean, clearly. You know, making the first step of I'm going to put this out for the world to see, and 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 that's this is going to be my first step. That's I'd call that a very bold first move. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody anybody is ever the same. Um, I, I I did a, I've done a lot of sort of thinking about this and and how and how people kind of talk about mental health. And one of the things is, I mean, we. We have this thing where we all say we're depressed, but I don't think depre- depression isn't the same for e- e- for everybody. Everybody goes through something slightly different, and how people deal with that and what they decide to do is is totally up to them. I mean, the, the most important thing would be to see a doctor because um, they're there to help. Um, but again, that's kind of... It takes a lot of courage, um, and it's not easy to do. So looking back, would you take the same first step? Um, I, yeah, I, I would, um, partly because that's the kind of person that I am. I mean, I, I, I didn't know where to look for any help. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on, so me putting that out there was... Was kind of my kind of fact finding mission, really. So I'm going to move on to uh, imposter syndrome, and I'm going to put Ryan and Andrew on the spot here in a second. But kind of give us, um, uh, I don't want to say definition, but for people who are listening who aren't familiar with imposter syndrome, um, you said that this was one of the things that you suffered from as well. 
Um, and I, I would go so far on a limb to say that we all suffer from it. From you know, I don't think anyone is ever really cured of imposter syndrome. I just think it's a thing that everybody has to deal with now and then. Um, can you talk about imposter syndrome for a minute. Yeah. Um, so imposter syndrome. It's it. It's kind of um, a, a kind of a fear that you're not you're not good enough, or and you're kind of you're surrounded by all these people that are absolutely amazing at what they do, um, and you're there um, kind of faking it. You're being an imposter in a room. Um, so you kind of imagine imagine turning up to DrupalCon and then kind of going into a sprint room, sitting down and trying to work on core when surrounded by, by you are all these core developers and you're just thinking, I re- I don't belong here. I'm not good enough to be here. I don't know. What I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, don't feel like, I don't feel like I belong. I'm, yeah. It's this whole idea of feeling like an imposter, but it's never based in any fact, which is what's so weird about it. I would imagine it was amplified by the depression and the anxiety as well. Um, I, I think, yeah, they all go hand in hand. I mean, sure. You, you, to be in a room um, with, with, with your peers and friends and colleagues and then suddenly think to yourself, I don't belong here. That's that, that hits, that ticks all the boxes with anxiety and depression. I mean, you're down that you don't feel like you belong and you're anxious that people will find out you don't belong. It's, it's kind of like a really bad triangle. I think it's fair to say though, that anybody in an open source community who is actively trying to improve themselves or learn or learn a new skill or, you know, a new niche at some point, maybe maybe everyone's too strong, but the vast majority of people are going to feel this. Are going to are going to feel like they're imposters. Like, yeah. what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, all these other people clearly know what they're doing. I don't belong here. I think everybody at some point questions questions their ability to do what they do. Um, it's just levels of severity. So, I mean, that can range from just being actually. Feeling slightly anxious to having full-blown panic attacks. It's it's there's a scale of how imposter syndrome hits you, really. For you know imposter syndrome specifically, many people might right now be thinking about it as if you're a beginner and you walk into a room of experts. But there's lots of documentation that says the experts feel it sometimes even more acutely because there sort of comes that moment where you're standing in the front of the room and everyone's looking at you and you go, I don't know what I'm going to say next, you know, but they all want, they all want you to have some result. So it's not like there's one group of people that's singled out by this syndrome, right? So Ryan, do you, uh, you know, I I mean, I, I know that I have, you know, many times felt this where, and it, it, it's, you know, in a very small sense, it's happening now. We're on just star, just now building our, you know, our first Drupal 8 site. And there's all these little aspects of it that I'm not sure about. And my way of fighting it is just to start asking questions, you know, and not really, you know, and by asking questions, I'm kind of exposing myself as I don't know this. But very quickly, as, as, as I get answers to questions... Um, I start feeling better very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I have also had a lot of experiences where I'm seeing it from the other side when I'm teaching a class or when I'm mentoring somebody or, you know, when I'm hosting a meetup group. We actually have a meetup group that I've been hosting for nine years now that's called Florida Creatives. And, you know, we tell someone about it and then we go, oh, I'm not creative. And that right there is that you know, you could, you could have this too with your clients, you know, you try to tell your client, okay, well then you just click on the edit button and like, no, I'm not technical, you know? So you kind of have to have that, the skill to be able to help people out and tell them like, you know, this is not hard. You know, you can figure this out. This is, this is something that is within the power of human beings because, somebody had to create it in the first place, you know, and they just have to get over that, that fear that, you know, like, and for some people, the, the, the fear is coming from different places. Some people, they're, they're f- afraid that they're going to be seen as, you know, less capable, or they just don't want to do, they don't want to make a mistake in front of everyone. Um, you know, there's lots of subconscious psychological things that are going along whenever somebody is watching you or when you think somebody is watching you, or if you don't want to do this, just in case anyone ever sees it, like there's got to, it's got to be pretty nerve wracking to put a project up on, on GitHub because you know that someday someone might come along and see it. (laughs) Someone who knows more than you. Right. And, and then they're going to tell me that I did something wrong, but turns out that's, That's called life. Like, nobody does everything perfect. (laughs) Andrew, how about you? Any experiences um, with imposter syndrome? Yeah, I mean, I feel it's pretty prevalent in the development community. I mean, even when uh, we started the uh, Florida Drupal group. I mean, you remember that first uh, Drupal camp? Uh, I still remember, like, why on earth am I giving these talks at uh, Drupal camp? relatively new to Drupal. I'm in my first year, but I kind of realized, you know what? I might not be the biggest expert in the world. I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to match up to Drees and Wildebeestslaying, but you know what? I have some good information I've learned. I've still got more to learn and some people want to learn from me, so I don't have to be perfect so I can move on. Yeah, when I'm, when I'm teaching... And I, I'm talking to my students about this because I, I encourage my students to get out and present at meetups almost immediately. And they're like, well, but everyone else there knows so much more than I do. And what am I going to explain? What am I going to talk about that everybody hasn't seen before? And I always talk about that there's a, you know, there's a path. There's a Drupal learning path. And at any given point, you know, there is, you know, you know you're on that path somewhere. And there's always going to be people who know less than you. And there's always going to be people that know more than you. Yep. So there's never really a point in time where you're going to get to, and you're going to say, now I can talk, you know, unless you somehow artificially manufacture a number in your head that says, I'm only going to, you know, present or participate when I know more than 75% of the people. And then I would say to you, good luck on, you know, trying to find, you know, figure out when exactly that is. So, okay, very good. Um, I did, Mike, you mentioned it a, a few minutes ago. Um, I do want to bring it up again. Your blog, which is at mikebell.io, 
I was lucky enough, you know, we spent some time together after the keynote. Um, I, I, I interviewed you um, at TripleCon Barcelona about your keynote. Um, in preparation for that, I actually went to your blog and I went way back in time um, and, and read, I don't know if it was all or the vast, you know, a few years back of your blog posts. And I think I probably mentioned it to you at some point um, that it was, I don't even know what the right word is, but it's extremely raw, um, but gripping. Because as I was reading those posts, you, you can kind of, you know, you took, you know, I, I took a journey with you, so to speak. And to this day, you're still, you're still posting on that um, as, as situation, you know, changes and improves. Um, and you said earlier that this was something that definitely helps you have you gotten feedback from other people who are going through some of the th same things that you're going through um, where your blog is not only helping yourself, but is also helping them? Yeah. I, I mean, people have come up to me and said that they've read posts and they've, they've related to some of the stuff that I'm saying. Um, I think, it, yeah, it's it's always a very it's it's really weird when people do come up and say that, and it's like yeah, because I think the thing about my blog is I, I have a I have a weird relationship with it where I, I I say a lot of stuff on there for me, but then when people like then I end up always tweeting a link out to it, and then people start reading it and start commenting on it, and it's just like it's kind of a, it's a it's a two way thing of kind of me putting stuff up there for purely for my own, my own sort of um, yeah. like cathartic um, sort of process. And then for other people to read as well. Um, it's like a diary that you periodically forget is in public. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the, I think uh, a few weeks ago, uh, one of my posts about um, um, like one of my medications that was kind of that was that was kind of more for public like uh, um, knowledge kind of thing. Basically, don't mm -hmm. mess around with medication. Um, and yeah, and and it, at the same time, it's it's kind of it. It just allows me to be honest with myself because um, I, I I find it I would find it I would find saying stuff like that very difficult to other people in person. So. There's a couple of stats, which I, I got them. I think I got them out of your DrupalCon keynote, um, which I thought was really interesting. It's a British study, but I would imagine that the results can be extrapolated to other parts of the, of the world as well. Um, that one in four adults suffer from some form of mental illness. And then uh, a little under 3% of people suffer from depression and a little under 5% of people suffer from anxiety. Um, I guess the question I want to ask you is about these numbers real quick. And I don't know if you have the answer to this. Um, is that the, are these numbers, the people who have been identified and are, are seeking treatment or these numbers include people who suffer from depression, let's say, but aren't necessarily, you know, seeking treatment. So I th think this came from a study of, um, of people that were actually going through treatment. Um, so I think how the figures were worked out was basically we've had X amount that have come forward for treat for like for treatment, um, and then versus the population. Okay, fair enough. 
So let's talk about uh, one, la- one last quick topic here, um, or one last quick thing on this topic, I should say, is um, the personal costs and financial costs of what you went through. Um, you mentioned earlier you were out of work for a few months. Um, clearly, when you're going through something this tumultuous, there's going to be, you know, costs. There's going to be, you know, relationships that that um, don't get tended to enough. There's going to be a loss of productivity at work. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? And, you know, how, you know, in, in your case, it seemed like it was a significant amount. Um, do you think maybe that could have been altered with a different course of treatment or quicker treatment, not quicker, but um, treatment earlier in the process? I mean, yeah. So just to like briefly to, like talk about what the personal costs and financial costs are. I mean, it, they're very intertwined. I mean, our daily life is five days a week at work and then two days a week at home. And yeah, it, feeling feeling depressed and anxiety does, does affect I mean in your job you're you're not productive spending day your day being worrying and just being generally down isn't a productive thing um it shows to loved ones um my fiance she knew something was up my parents knew something was up they just couldn't put their fingers on it and and that affects their relationship with me um when I was off work um it it um, it costs a lot of money. Um, I blew through all my savings um, to pay rent, to buy food, um, and just general the the things that you take for granted when you've got a regular salary. Um, and I think I, moving on to like how how I would potentially deal with these. I don't uh, I, I I don't think recovery is not a quick thing. Um, I mean, for me, I got onto medication as quick as possible. That helped. That helped in the in, in that helped me get back to being what I would call a productive citizen. Um, and but I, I still don't classify myself as cured, and and I don't think I ever will be. I I don't think that I don't I don't think there is a quick recovery path. Um, it's just it's one of these things where everybody is going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. and I, it, the one thing that is the same with everybody is it, it's not a quick recovery, but maybe the, the quicker you can identify it or the quicker you can face it. Oh yeah, yes, certainly. I mean, as soon as you, as soon as, as soon as you start proactively doing something about it, then yeah, you'll recover quicker. Um, you'll 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 start the recovery process sooner. Was there a sense of, for lack of a better word, embarrassment about this? I mean, I, I can imagine I can imagine there'd be a lot of people who don't want to come forward the same way that you did because it's embarrassing. Yeah, I I, I think it. Yeah, it, it can be embarrassing, and there are also there are also a, a lot of other factors that. I, I didn't realize at the time. I mean, the the big one for me is um, is like how people see me from an employment um, perspective. It's like, do would anybody actually want to hire me now? Especially mm-hmm. putting myself out there on quite a public platform and basically saying that yes, I have mental health issues. Um, but yeah, can you please employ me? 
it's yeah it's i don't for me it's not exactly embarrassment but i think there are quite a few different kind of emotions that people would go through um as part of all of this yeah i would almost argue though that i would rather know up front as much as i could about a potential hire than learn about it later yeah so i'm not sure where where it would i, I could see both sides of it i yeah. can see where yeah, but I, I think yeah. Sometimes rational thought doesn't enter into any of this. <laughs> I I tend to use that phrase a lot with, uh, with with people lately, where logic has no place. As the as the parent of two teenagers, I tend to use that phrase a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, very cool, Mike. Um, you know, I, I want to thank you again for you know just being so open about this, and I think if. Just by you talking about it and putting yourself out there, um, I, I think that's bound to help uh, more people than, than you know, we can imagine. And yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Okay. So uh, you're going to stick around, I believe. So yeah. let me um, do some business here real quick. Let me mention that the next session of Drupal Career Online, uh, our 12-week Drupal training course is starting in March of next year, about three months from now. You can check out drupaleasy.com slash DCO uh, for more information and more information will be forthcoming as uh, things develop. Uh, I also want to mention the Drupal Association is in the middle of their membership drive. They're looking to raise $100,000 and get 1,000 new members to join the Drupal Association by the end of the year. Um, I think I put a tweet out. Did I? I don't know. Or did, maybe I imagined putting a tweet out. Uh, I don't know why I was thinking about this the other day, but I, I think if I wasn't a member of the Drupal Association, I would be a bit embarrassed, and I'm not trying to shame people. Well, maybe I am. Maybe I am trying to shame people into joining the Drupal Association. But the way I look at it is, you know, Drupal being open source, I'm not, obviously, I'm not paying for the software. Obviously, there's no license fees. Um, the community has done so much for me and my business that this is a tangible financial way for me to give back. Um, by supporting the Drupal Association, which puts on Drupal cons, which you know maintains the servers, and these days is you know playing a bigger, bigger role of giving Drupal.org the features that we all need and, and rely on. So if you're listening to this podcast and you make any money at all from the Drupal project, then then shame. Shame on you for not being a Drupal Association member if you're not. If you are a Drupal Association member, give yourself a pat on the back. A pat on the back because uh, that's very much appreciated. But what about the people who have let their membership lapse? Is it is it a shameful pat? Well, I think that's uh, that's just as shameful as not having ever joined at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for Mike to walk down the street like in Game of Thrones saying shame after. Yeah, maybe I might have to do that. Shame, um, shame, shame, cowbell. Is there a cowbell involved with saying shame? Is if you saw Game, Game of Thrones? Thrones, yes. Oh, no, I, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. Hopefully they will. I think last time they talked about, I think they were about a third of their way to their goal. Let's try and make that happen. I think we have three weeks left or something. Are there still tote bags? There are, I have not given away one tote bag yet. How crazy is that? 
Mike will send you a tote bag. Just send him your receipt. Complete with credit card information. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> I will trust you. I will trust that you join. If you, t- if you send me an email saying, I joined the DA, I will trust that you did, and I will send you a tote bag and whatever other swag I have lying around the office here. So let's move into three stories. Uh, first up, one that when I saw the uh, the title of the post, I, was, I, I kind of rolled my eyes and went, oh boy, here we go. Uh, titled Drupal 8, happy but not satisfied. A blog post by Krell or Larry Garfield, a, a multiple time guest on our show. Um, Ryan, Andrew, Mike, have you guys had a chance to read this one? Yeah, I, th- I have. Uh, I think it's a, yeah. it's a great article. Um, I, I think it says a lot of things that I think a lot of people are thinking, and it's kind of a, a, a nice reminder that there's still a lot more that needs doing. Just because Drupal 8 is out now doesn't mean the work stops there. I think this is a, a tone that Larry's really good at striking, which is it's it's a sort of like just this side of trolling, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know that this will get a reaction out of people, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's unwelcome. I'm just like, as soon as I read the title, I was like, uh huh. Like, sort of like the the one title of his DrupalCon talk was just no. I was <laughs> talking to uh, I was talking to Ted, one of our other co-hosts, offline the other day, and we were laughing about it. Um, I think Ted had asked me if I if I'd read it. <laughs> I think I believe Ted mentioned it was really nice of Larry to wait two weeks after the release of Drupal Eight before posting this. Give everybody two weeks to really bask in the glow and enjoy it before smacking us back into reality. <laughs> back to work. <laughs> back to work. Because he does. I mean, Larry goes. It's a really well written. You know, as as pretty much everything else that Larry writes. It's a really nice article. It goes through. You know, almost point by point of all the really um, of all the things that the community got right in Drupal eight, um, but then as as Mike you just mentioned a second ago, it talks about the areas where we made progress, but we need to go further, and it kind of lays out you know Larry's vision of where are these areas that we need to improve on and go further. Um, it's almost like a you know like Larry's manifesto. So if you haven't if you haven't checked it out, the link will be in the show notes. Definitely check it out. It's it's. Uh, I think Larry's one of those people in the community. When he writes a post like this, it's almost required reading. Required reading. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, uh, we talked about this uh, last week a little bit uh, with, or was it two weeks ago with Paul? Maybe it was two weeks ago with Paul Johnson, um, the Drupal.org social media coordinator. I believe is what his uh, his title is. Um, he and Jam and a few other people t- put together the Celebrate Drupal 8 site. And I just want to give it another shout out. There's some really, really nice videos, some really nice content on that site. And Paul recently wrote a blog post um, about how that site was put together, how they got all the content, and they were able to kind of do it in you know a little bit under the radar, let's say. So that when Drupal 8 launched, that site launched with a lot of really um, good and fun content. Um, so check that out as well. Um, anybody have anything to say about that? Because I know our third story is going to have some discussion. Um, yeah, so the Celebrate, the 
the team of developers behind Celebrate Jubilee um, did an absolutely amazing job. And I know they worked quite long hours outside of work to do it. Um, and yeah, I think that what they did was absolutely fantastic. It's a fun site, though. I mean, it's really, it's, it's like a, a feel-good site. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like a feel-good movie. All right, so the final story that um, is generating a lot of discussion in the community, that's for sure. Dries posted, I believe it may have been yesterday, which would be Monday, December 7th. Maybe it was the weekend. I'm not sure. Was it yesterday? Okay. Yep. Um, He posted an article called, Should We Decouple Drupal with a Client-Side Framework? And this has been a topic that has been, there's been rumbles for a while about this, you know, with, you know, not necessarily decoupling, but using Symfony on the back end, should we be doing the same on the front end? Should we be using some third-party open source platform on the front end? Um, and Dries kind of laid out his, his thoughts on it. Uh, what I thought was really interesting is he readily admits that this is something that he's still thinking about. It's he, he doesn't have the answer. He's not saying this is what we need to do. He's kind of laying out an argument um, or a case and as many facts as he can in hopes of encouraging discussion within the community. And based on the comments on the post, as well as another, um, at least one really well-written blog post that I'll mention right now as well. The link will be in the show notes. Um, written by Campbell Vertesi, uh, he writes something called How Drupal Should Handle Client-Side Framework Obsolescence. Um, really great kind of companion piece to Dries's, uh post. So I think, uh, Andrew, if I can, let me start with you. Uh, did you have a chance to read this? I have, yes. Initial thoughts. Initial thought is this has been a long time coming. It's kind of been an Achilles heel of Drupal for a while. Now, my opinion is more on the admin side, personally, for me, but that tends to be where I work more uh, rather than the front end. But where Drees was talking about, uh, what was it, the progressive enhancement for it? I think that was the term he used. Uh, progressive decoupling, that's it. Uh, it's going to be super important because I don't think we can just hop over to the full thing. We need to have it be progressive for you know, bots and other things that need to use that. I mean, do you think, I mean, you said it for you, it's more important on the admin side. I mean, do you think that's because with Drupal 8 and the fact that services are kind of baked in now, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not as much of a, of a leap to have a decoupled front end with D8? It's not as much as uh, of a leap, which is great because we got the, you know, those steps leading up to it, but also it's, rather difficult right now to say well okay you're going to be i'm going back to the admin but uh you know you're going to be working on a form and here's you know the fields and the form apis that you're going to be using okay well now oh you want to do some javascript stuff here's something else you totally have to learn that's uh, very very different if we could make that system uh well easier to swallow and less complex by going with a standard one and trying to do most of the rendering in there I think that would be a win for new people to Drupal who are working on it. So a win to bring new people in who are familiar with uh, with these other front-end tools or, or libraries? Yeah, you know, that are familiar with it and just that are new to Drupal, period. It's less uh, additional systems they have to learn. 
So it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is completely analogous to the argument of using Symphony on the back end. Oh, yeah. A huge proponent of it. Okay. And Ryan, how about you? Did you have a chance to read this? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And uh, I actually found it via a discussion on the Google Plus uh, community where there's, you know, some extra comments always get thrown in there. And the big one was like, oh, well, WordPress is going to switch to Node.js. And I'm like, well, then will it still be WordPress? Like, my first thought was, if you take the front end off of WordPress, is it WordPress? Or the other way around, if you take the admin interface off of Drupal, is it still Drupal? And I think, much like Andrew, my personal opinion is that if Drupal is going to decouple anything, it should be the admin interface. And while there could be examples in contrib of front-end applications, you know, like if you think of the Drupal way as, well, we're we're going to have this very non-opinionated way about how things should be, you know, sort of presented to the end user. You could change anything at any time using a configuration. I don't know how you do that on the front-end and keep it Drupal-y. Like, if you're going to develop a whole separate application, then develop a whole separate application. And if you want to host it on Drupal.org, then be our guest. But I don't know... I don't know how you make this a Drupal interface. And especially with all of the flexibility and configurability that Drupal has with a a front-end framework without it being insanely more complicated. I think some of the, the discussion um, in Dries's post and Campbell's post and the comments was the, the rapid development of front-end these days is much, much faster than Drupal core. So how do we choose one that is going to be around long enough you know, to kind of match the pace of Drupal core. But if you, I mean, if you ask me, that's a technical detail, that's not actually addressing the question, which is why do you want to do this? And if the reason why is to improve the user experience, then how can you improve the user experience while keeping the site builder experience and the developer experience? Can you keep them the same at all? Or are you saying, well, we don't care about our current site builders and developers. We just want to get this, you know, box checked on our, on our, you know, list of features of things that we can do. It sounds like um, when I was, I read Campbell's blog post earlier today, and he kind of prognosticated a little bit and said what he thinks is probably going to happen is that. Drupal 8 should move towards being easier to implement different front ends, but not necessarily have a different front end and core, but leave that for the contrib space where it will probably naturally occur. Like if we make it easier in core, then contrib will probably naturally start filling some of those gaps. Is, do you agree or disagree with, with that reasoning? Yeah, I, I think making it easier is definitely the goal. That that's that's a good goal to have, um, you know. And well, at some point we're going to jump ahead to this, but uh, 
Yeah, does anybody else have a comment? <laughs> I, I wanna, like, Just a, a quick thought on it. I, I worry a little bit, though, then, you know, use module X, which requires Angular, module Y, which requires some other system, and uh, module Z, which requires Angular, too. You kind of have uh, a framework. Uh, yeah, Frankenstein there. I mean, my, my argument with this is, I mean, you said that how do you keep it Drupal-y? And I, and I think we, we the modules are what make, the contrib space is what makes Drupal Drupal. And by having this freedom to do, to decouple, um, like the client-side framework, I, I think that is still very intrinsically Drupal. And I, I can kind of, I can see totally where Campbell's coming from. And I think, moving moving things towards like um allowing people to implement whatever kind of front end they choose um while providing while making things easier for them to do i think that's that is in essence what drupal is really we it's a it's a tool which people provide um through the contrib we provide modules through contrib space and if we can make things easier for people to jump on board then i am totally for it Hi, Ryan, were you going to bring up a different point there? Well, I mean, one thing Dries does talk about that I am a giant wholehearted supporter of is a technology called GraphQL. And I think he mentioned this in his Barcelona keynote, unless I'm making that up. You mentioned um, it in a keynote at some point, that's for sure. So this was a, a technology that was originally developed by Facebook, but essentially you can get a lot of the same flexibility that we get out of, for example, creating views, but by writing this sort of query language that is, uh, I want to say it's in JSON because what's not in JSON these days. Um, and what you basically do is you, you have to write this query based on the data structures that you have, which is, just like any other query language out there. And you say like, you know, I would like a user and on the user, I would like to have the username, the email address and the picture. And then if at some point in the future, you know, all of a sudden you change the cardinality so that now a picture has three pictures on it, you haven't broken your query because you just asked for the picture. Um, and you can, you know, you can configure it in all these fun ways to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. But I think if we had something like GraphQL, and I don't see why you wouldn't just have it be GraphQL, that was an interface into Drupal, that was this standardized way of asking for information, and it gets returned in a standardized way, then who cares what the front end is? We don't have to provide a front end because we've got this very predictable API that's based on however you set up your content types, however you set up your entities and your fields and your, you know, entity, um, what's those things called? Entity references. Those things are all just instantly mappable to you. And if you decide that you want to dive down, you know, 10 layers deep into entity references, it's it's up to the back end to decide whether or not that needs to be cached or generated dynamically or whatever. For the front end programmers don't care. And so, again, I don't think deciding on a front end framework 
is productive. Use whichever one you like. And if one emerges as the most useful, then great. But I think there's still lots that needs to be done in the middleware part in order to make that instantly easy or instantly switchable. All right. Well, I think we've solved it. I think we've cracked it. (laughs) No one's going to agree with me. Sold. Sold. Fantastic. All right. Very good. Let's move on. Um, Let's talk about web-enabled and specifically devpanel.com. So, which is a companion site of uh, WebEnabled, a companion product. Uh, with, Dev, uh, with DevPanel, you can manage all your servers, sites, and teams and projects from one single place. It doesn't matter where your servers are hosted, you can manage them from DevPanel. It's like cPanel, but for your servers. Um, there's a really nice interface where you can push updates to your servers all from a single dev panel, dev panel control uh, panel. <laughs> I said panel way too many times there. So you can check that out at devpanel.com. Uh, picks of the week. So, Mike, let me start with you. It looks like you've done something interesting here. Um, yeah, so this kind of passed me by um, and I found out about it twice in the same day. Um, so there's a function um, that was backported from Drupal 8 into Drupal 7 called Theme Debug. Um, and for for just debugging, it's absolute godsend. So what it does is it adds comments into the um, HTML, um, pointing to where the um, what template is generating the output that's being displayed. So it's brilliant for kind of backtracing through um, like a theme to find out where things have been generated. It's uh, like a lightweight theme developer module. Yeah, pretty much exactly that. Yeah. Um, so it's dead easy to enable. Um, if you're using Drush, it's just simply uh, Drush variable set theme underscore debug one and then refresh your page and you'll see extra comments in the HTML. So this is a, is this a project on Drupal.org? Um, no, it's actually core functionality in Drupal 8, uh, but it was backported right. into, I think it was, I think it was included in 7.33. Oh, so it's actually, okay, so it's actually in Drupal 7 as well. Uh, obviously it's in Drupal 8, but it's our, it's in Drupal 7 core. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Oh, I had no idea. That's fantastic. All right, is there? Um, if you could, Mike, is there documentation for it? I, I have a I have a link for you. Okay, fantastic. So you did that work, Mike? Uh, no, I didn't. I just found out about it and was like, "This is oh, actually okay. awesome." <laughs> okay, fantastic. No, that's a that's a, a fantastic pick of the week because I know I, I know using theme developer is a necessary evil now and then, but this is you know definitely a nice lightweight. Um, uh, um, substitution. All right, Ryan, while you're typing there, I'm going to go ahead and give my pick of the week. I've decided that moving forward, my picks of the week for a while are going to be all Drupal 8 modules, and I'm going to start with Admin Toolbar. So as anyone who's used Drupal 8 knows, it comes with a new uh, responsive toolbar that, that works you know, really nice, whether you're in mobile or tablet or desktop. The one thing it doesn't do, though, it doesn't have all of those nice flyouts. There's a certain level of you can dive down, but not like the old admin menu from Drupal 7. The admin toolbar uh, module for Drupal 8 
keeps the identical toolbar for that ships with Drupal 8, but it just makes it um, available with all the flyouts. So you can dive down into your individual content types and into all the configuration settings. Um, really, really nice. Uh, super simple. Appears to be rock solid. I've been using it for a few days. So definitely check that out. It's uh, admin underscore toolbar well, is the machine. And while I love Jesse Beach, I don't know why that this couldn't have just been a checkbox in the original toolbar, yeah. navbar module in the first place to give me dropdowns. The, the original reasoning was that um, flyout menus are not mobile friendly, and I totally mm -hmm. get it. And when you have it on that really tiny screen and tapping to open it is the right action. Right. Got it. <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, no, this should just be in core. I don't know why it's not. As a checkbox. Yeah. yeah. Not, a, not, a, not a bad thought there at all. So Ryan, I almost made your um, pick of the week one of our news stories. So I'm glad you included it as a pick of the week. Go ahead. What do you got? Yes. Uh, I think... I think this is new since the last podcast. Um, the big pipe module was released or is it on RC2 now? I don't remember which version it's on. Probably by the time you listen to this, a new version could come out. So who knows? But if you haven't heard of big pipe yet, um, if you go to the project page for it, there is a little video that shows you. But if you think about um, a lot of web pages you look at now that are these big giant scalable web pages the sort of like center section of the page will load and the branding and then a few seconds later the sidebars will sort of load in magically and so if you look at what's actually happening it's that the content that's easy to cache shows up first and then the stuff that's harder to cache like you know how many messages do you have in your inbox right now and which of your friends is online right now and you know maybe some other things like notifications that we need to show you or whatever it happens to be things that are too specific to your user they actually get rendered maybe not in a separate process but the the main content gets rendered first and it's usually cached so we can just hand it to you right away and everything else kind of loads afterwards um, that's big pipe there's a technology that was invented by facebook um, they're taking advantage of some tricks in web browsers to let them do that. And there's kind of two ways it could work. One is with JavaScript. One is just um, with the regular web browser, you know, uh, life cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, both of them sort of rely on this ability of the browser to be able to refresh sections of the page that have changed. That's about as well as I could describe it. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to read the documentation, which I linked to here. Um, the, the readme file is very simple. And then inside the code itself, it gets into a little bit more detail. And it gives you a breakdown of step one, we send the head all the way down to the first Node.js no um, tag. And then we send a placeholder. And then we send some more stuff. And then we send a placeholder. And then we send some more stuff. And we send a placeholder. So I think the way you structure your templates is going to matter if you're going to use this um, technique is you want right. to put it, the, the content at the top. Go ahead. And it doesn't actually speed anything up. It, it, it is perceived speed. I think Dries actually used this 
uh, phrase somewhere. I don't know if it was in a blog post or what, but the speed of the what they call first paint of where stuff first starts getting rendered in the browser. So it looks like it's loading faster. Right. And yeah, um, if if you know if you know enough about how web browsers render stuff, for example, it it will not render anything until it has, you know, all of the style sheets or all of the images or all of the fonts or whatever it happens to be. I think all the browsers do it slightly differently, but um the point is to get those really most important things and the first bit of content that you want someone to see and the layout of the page handed to somebody. And so that first couple of kilobytes, they get right away. And then the other stuff that's dynamically generated, we hand to them afterwards and the browser just sort of intelligently replaces stuff. All right. Very good. Excellent pick of the week, both of you. I both definitely actually, and I hate not to insult you, Ryan, but I will be definitely checking out Mike's, uh, Backport themed bug, <laughs> like almost immediately. <laughs> so outstanding. All right. So some upcoming events. It's a relatively quiet time of year with the holidays approaching. Um, I did want to throw a shout out to, and I can't believe that these words actually exist and is real. Drupal Camp Siberia is taking place in, uh, in about uh, less than two weeks, December 18th through 20th. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. You can go to the site. It's all in Russian. It's it's beautiful. It's fantastic. Um, just amazing that our community has reached the point where there is a Drupal camp in Siberia, which seems completely counterintuitive because Siberia is where supposedly nobody is, or I guess people who get in trouble. Yeah. Um, I will have a shout out, throw a shout out to... Um, uh, them as well. They were actually, the, I know about this because they were a recipient of the Drupal Association Community Cultivation Grant. This is their first camp. Um, so they were they were provided with a grant as to kind of get things rolling. So congratulations to that organizing team in Siberia, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I want to mention Drupal Camp New Jersey, which takes place after the new year at the end of January. Um, yours truly is going to be the keynote speaker. So it'd be great for everyone to come out and say hi. And, uh, both Ted and I will both be giving, um, workshops on Friday, January 29th at Drupal camp, New Jersey as well. So we'll have a couple members of the Drupal easy podcast, uh, up in New Jersey. There's still a possibility that I, I might show up. It's if I have a home Drupal camp from my work. That might be it. That would um, be, yeah. That's your FFW East Coast office is right down the street. And uh, a lot of the talks, I'm sure, will have uh, FFW people. And um, probably we will be there with the table and hiring. So uh, at least if I understand it correctly. Don't quote me on that, that be, but you could always check the FFW website for open jobs postings. That'll be a cross-country trip for you at that point, won't it? Yep, yep. It would be quite a flight. There you go. All right. Um, we Also, we just announced uh, Florida Drupal Camp uh, 2016 is taking place March 5th, 2016. Um, so... If you're interested in getting out of whatever cold climate you may or may not be in in uh, March, by all means, come down to sunny and warm uh, Central Florida in at the beginning of March for Florida Drupal Camp. Always a fun event. 
And finally, I want to mention Midcamp, which uh, our newest co-host, Anna Collada, is involved in the organization of. Takes place uh, in Chicago. Is it in Chicago or outside Chicago? Somewhere in the Chicago. In the area. Chicago land area. Let's just in say. Chicago land. Yes, and that takes place uh, mid March, March seventeenth through twentieth, and that is one of the. Is it fair to call it? I don't. Do, do we want to call it like an upper tier camp? There's like you know a handful of camps that take place in the U.S. that tend to um, attract, you know, more people than others. And I think mid camp might be one of them. You don't, you think Florida is not one? Uh, I think Florida (laughs) might be on the edge. If, if people, if people would just realize how awesome the weather was, it would be. Yeah. But see the thing that it doesn't have going for, it's not centrally located. Yeah. That's what Florida doesn't have going for. That's why. Like San Francisco. That's super central. Yeah. Yeah, Bad camp, nice camp, gov camp. Those are, you know, and then, you know, mid-camp, I think, is the one for kind of the, the central U.S. Or you just mean to large population centers? We'll go with that. We'll go with that. And then, Mike, you just mentioned, you just added here, thank you for doing that, Drupal Global Sprints uh, take place uh, Saturday, January 30th. And, Mike, I'm guessing, is there going to be one in your area? Uh, yep, there's going to be one in Manchester, and I'm going to hopefully um, coordinate with a few of uh, like Leeds and um, Sunderland as well. All right, fantastic. So well, we that's, will that's coinciding add... with New Jersey there. Yes, absolutely. Good times. So I will uh, add that link to the show notes as well. All right, well, let's wrap things up here. Um, Mike, where can people find you online? Or where do you want them to find you online, I guess Ooh. we should say? <laughs> um, yeah, so mostly uh, Twitter. Uh, so that's I'm at MikeBell underscore. Uh, my blog as well, MikeBell.io. And I'm MikeBell on GitHub. Yeah, check out Mike's blog. I mean, it is. I can't say enough positive things about it, Mike. I was, uh, I was, I was completely sucked in for a couple hours that evening when I was reading that stuff. Not always an easy read, which I think you'll admit to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh, just, just honest and, and raw and fantastic. So definitely check that out. And Ryan, where can people find you? You can find me at. Liberator on most websites, uh, which is minus the last vowel. And uh, I plan to, although my life is kind of crazy right now, put some posts up on bringing art and technology together, which is batideas, B-A-T-T-ideas.com, as well as ouryellowhouse.com, which are two other podcasts that I do. And, uh, you know, if I feel crazy and I get around to it, bloggingfringe.com, which is about... uh, theater performers who are sort of entrepreneurial and develop and perform their own shows and then um out there on the web search for ryan price i i haven't asked you this question i can't believe i haven't thought about it yet or thought of it yet is people who've been listening to the podcast for a while know and it's remarkably quiet at your house today that there's normal that there's animals there yeah multiple animals of various species there (laughs) At least two. How many are they all making the trip to Portland? Yes, all the animals are going to Portland. So, uh, so how are you guys renting? Like, uh, here's what I'm envisioning, or maybe here's what I'm suggesting. Uh, Of course, you've seen the movie Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) Yeah, the dog truck furry vans. Yes. How are you getting all those animals? Because there's there's at least a couple a couple of dogs and a couple of cats, right? Yeah. We are putting all of our things onto a semi-truck. 
we are putting ourselves, two dogs, and one cat, and uh, I'm going to just call them in-laws, two in-laws, into two cars and driving, and then two additional cats are going to be flying in style with none other than Eric Baldwin, who we've had on the show before, and John Learned. They will actually be here in Orlando to unload a storage unit that they loaded up when they decided to go nomad and move all over the world. Mm. And then they ended up buying a house in Portland recently. So um, they're going to come here to get the remainder of their stuff that never left Orlando. And it's going to go on our truck and then they're going to take our cats. Oh, so is that like a trade? <laughs> we haul we haul one metric ton of your stuff in exchange for two eight pound cats <laughs> that depending on the cat that could be more than a fair deal yeah um you know when you first started talking about it i was thinking you were going to say like a circus train or something with like the little you know cages with the lions like reaching out <sighs> you know i don't know yeah mm-hmm. so are we here to announce i think we are that eric Baldwin and John learned are starting a cat transportation service. <laughs> Only for Drupal people. Yeah, I think since they're they can't defend themselves, I think that is you know that is absolutely a thing now. If you want your cats to uh, ride in style to New Orleans, call Eric and John. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put their direct. We'll put their their phone numbers in the show notes. Fantastic. All right. Um, where were we? Oh, where can we find everybody? Okay, so obviously you can find Drupal Easy on Twitter and at DrupalEasy.com and a lot of other places. Andrew M. Riley, who had to silently slink away to go to a meeting, is Andrew M. Riley on Twitter and many other places. I am Ultimike, U-L-T-I-M-I-K-E. And of course, we're missing Ted Bow, uh, Ted Bowman, um, and he's at Six Mile Tech. And Anna Colada, who is also not here today, at A-K-L-A. Oh, I spelled it wrong. It's terrible. A-K-A-L-A-T-A. So you can find us all online there. And Mike, we're going to wrap things up with you here with our five questions. So we're going to ask you five questions, and we need quick answers. We don't want you to think about them that much. Just give us the first thing that pops into your head here. Uh, Number one, name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Um, gaming. Uh, I've just picked up Fallout 4, which I'm hoping to spend a lot of time playing. That is uh, funny because my son was just telling me today that's his like his number one request for Christmas present is Fallout 4. <laughs> so, um, what's the last piece of software that you've installed? It can be on your computer, a phone, anywhere. Um, so that was probably the PlayStation app on my phone, so that I can add all my colleagues to PS4. All right. What is a goal that you have not accomplished yet that's also a bit terrifying to you? Um, I really, really want to become more involved with core development. Um, And my goal is to actually work my way up to being in, well, a relatively high percentage of core committers. So what, um, what aspect of core interests you? Is your particular subsystem or... Yeah, the CMI stuff. Um, so I, I, one of my friends has, has worked with that quite a bit. And um, yeah, just from what I've heard, it seems like quite a good place to get involved. Maybe you shouldn't have mentioned that on, on the podcast. You might have people contacting you. <laughs> 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 
Name, what is the last exotic animal that you've hand fed? Um, oh, wow. Uh, that would be, I think, an owl um, in York. An owl? Did you see like one. a. I don't think don't we got owls eat like owl. mice and stuff? Um, I can't remember. Carnivores. I can't remember what we fed, but they were um, yeah. they were owls by the York Minster, um, and they were just showing them off. It's really yeah. Good. I think they're they're carniv. Well, I think they're they might be both, but I th- they're definitely carnivores because there's a thing. I think my kids have done it in school in the past where they actually dissect an owl pellet. Oh wow! Right? Yeah, and, and it's you know, full they- of animal bones and yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe I actually realized what we were feeding them. <laughs> <laughs> and last one, what was your tipping point Drupal moment? Or in other words, you know, you b- before you really got into Drupal, you were Drupal curious. Was there something that happened or something that you learned about Drupal that really made you go, oh, wow, Drupal is, is for me? Um, the community. Um, just seeing that um, Drupal had such an amazing community and that they were all really friendly. Um, that was pretty much um, my tipping point, really. And that was when I decided that I would make Drupal my full-time job. That's, you know, it's surprising, but we have a lot of people giving that answer. It's some sort of community aspect that did it. Very few people have given other answers other than, than that. So, all right, well, fantastic. Um, I think that about wraps it up. You can, as always, catch out catch this and older episodes of the podcast on drupaleasy.com or your favorite podcast catcher. If you would like to leave us a voicemail um, and argue with Ryan about something he said today, you can do that um, (laughs) by calling in the U.S. or basically anywhere, plus one, 321-396-2340. If you want to get a head start on what we might be talking about during our next podcast... You can follow the Drupal Easy podcast tag on Delicious. We do not have any upcoming podcasts scheduled, although I have a few bouncing around in my brain. Um, So we will, I believe we will have one more, at least one more before the end of the year. Well, that'll be a nice little surprise for everybody. (laughs) Uh, So I want to thank Andrew and Ryan. Thanks for, uh, for being here. It was nice going old school with you guys. Yeah. I know Andrew's not there, but I'm sure he feels exactly the same way. And Mike, uh, most of all, thank you to you uh, for, uh, I think we actually rescheduled this podcast and uh, thanks for sticking with with the extended timeline here and as well as for your openness with this um, uh, depression and anxiety and imposter syndrome. uh, I I believe that you're, you know, you're helping a lot of people just by talking about it. So the community is in your debt. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, and uh, we will see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast.